It's time for Church, the Church of Sport, and today's sermon we reflect on a weekend of comebacks in the rugby championship. Again, dismiss the business of rugby. Salute Tongan league fans, shake our heads again at Football New Zealand, and query the sacking culture in English football. My name's Pastor Stu, and joining me as usual in the Church of Sport is the very, very Reverend Mike. Thanks, Pastor Stu. It's great to be back in the Church of Sport for another sermon. All right, so we'll get right into it. Uh, the last round of the Rugby Championship happened last weekend, and it was a weekend of comebacks with the All Blacks coming from a long way down to Pip South Africa in the last minute, and Australia coming from a long way down as well, even further down, to uh, end up beating Argentina quite comfortably debris in uh, in Argentina. So a couple of exciting games. Um, so what did you think? Very, very Reverend Mike. You know, for the first time uh, in a long time, Pastor Stu, I actually dragged my ass out of bed at four o'clock in the morning to watch the All Black South Africa game live. So I guess it's an indication for me that I was slightly more interested uh, in this game than I have been in uh, previous years. Um, and it didn't disappoint. It was a, uh, it was a nice uh nice game to watch um i thought both teams uh did some things uh that they probably didn't need to in terms of uh giving the ball back to the opposition at key moments um yeah i thought it was interesting you know it seemed like the south africans would get out to uh this outrageous lead <clears throat> uh, and then the all blacks would score one try and suddenly be within seven again. And it seemed to be like that um, throughout the game. Um, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. South Africans could have this lead that it just didn't look like we were going to run down, and then suddenly we would be uh, within touch again. So um, a little bit strange in that respect, but, yeah, still a good game to watch. And um, the All Blacks uh, actually played a little bit of rugby in the last five minutes uh, and stole stole, stole victory. Yeah, I thought so too, that they played some rugby. They controlled the ball uh, rather than just throw it around everywhere. They All of the tries that they scored towards the end there, that was good controlled rugby, I thought. Um, so yeah, that was actually good to see. And, and maybe maybe that is, is their plan to play some rugby rather than just uh, throw it around willy-nilly. Um, but we'll see. And with the uh, Australian game, so their, their comeback was inspired by a Michael Checker rant um, which has been quite popular on YouTube and other social media sites uh, because, of course, they had a camera in the dressing room to show it. It looked like he was going to go up and punch one of the Aussie players at one point. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess um, <clears throat> if there's any time that he needed to lose his rag, it was uh, at halftime during that game. It was interesting, the uh, you know the halftime talk um, from Phil Kearns, um, who was uh, really getting into the um, Aussie management, um, and they had all but written off um, the Australians uh, at halftime. Um, but Argentina really let them off the hook in a massive way. Um, you know what they needed to do was to control the ball and control it for long periods of time <clears throat> because time was the enemy of the Wallabies um, and probably for every minute that the Argentinians could hold the ball was probably worth about five minutes um, but they just couldn't do it um, and uh, Australia broke through and just kept on breaking through um, and stole the game really uh, so the, the Wallabies were lucky but they played some good rugby um, and it's not a small effort to come back from a half-time deficit like that. So all kudos to them. Um, whether 
they've turned the corner or not, uh, I don't think so. Um, but again, another another interesting game. Yeah, I don't think so either. But in a couple of weeks now, the All Blacks and Wallabies will play in Japan uh, in a dead rubber match for the Bleslow Cup again. Um, so a money-making exercise there. Uh, and I read somewhere online that uh, Michael Checker is, is, has targeted that game for a, in terms of a stepping stone for Australia at moving forward and into the World Cup if they can tip over the All Blacks, which they've, they've kind of done in, the, in those third games for a, for a couple of years. They've, they've managed to do that. So that'll, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, also talking money, if we're to talk the Rugby League of Nations, um, and I did introduce this last week, um, this concept of a top 12 or a top 14 teams that were going to be playing every year. This was going to replace the end of year tours and they were going to have uh, maybe three groups of four or, or, or something like that. And it was going to be a little mini tournament. There's a new proposal that's come out, which basically um, has all the top 12 nations in the world playing each other once every year. And then um, as a result of some convoluted point system, a, a top four will play off for a, <coughs> um, a top four will play as a result of some convoluted point system a top four will play off uh, in some semi-finals and then there'll be a final and then there'll be a, a winner of that league of nations um reading between the or not even reading between the lines because the guy that was proposing this some guy from um world rugby of of course he who and he kind of looks like brian tamaki from destiny church What's his name? His name is Brian. Uh, no, not Brian. Brett Gosper. So all he could talk really talk about uh, in the in the article was about new revenue streams that were going to be created. So um, you know you've been banging on about this business of rugby, and I've been kind of humouring you with it. But uh, you're actually dead on the very very Reverend Mike. That's that's all they want is to create new revenue yeah, streams. Uh, and undoubtedly, um, Steve Chu will be in bed with this guy. Um, Oh, he'd be rubbing yeah, his hands together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as I've as I've said for many weeks, um, rugby has uh, long become the business of rugby. Or the people running it are more interested in the business of rugby than the game itself. So uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Hmm. Well, this has got nothing to do with growing the game. You know, you hear them talking about, oh, we need to grow the game. Um, this is com- completely the opposite end of that. This isn't growing anything. This is just looking after the the top nations. Um, and again, we're going to have these kind of meaningless tests. We're going to see the the All Blacks or everybody playing everybody over the course of a year, um, which I, I suppose we kind of get now uh, to a degree. But um, yeah, some contrived tournament that they're trying to put together. Uh, I I just think it's a waste of time, completely waste of time. Yeah, and um, even if it comes to fruition, probably won't be for some years. By the time they um, managed to um, squeeze it into the busy rugby calendar already. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's leaving out some of the smaller nations um, and showing that World Rugby just really doesn't care at all about about some of those developing rugby nations. They just, uh, you know, they might eventually have some sort of promotion relegation thing that will create a little bit of interest and a, a smaller country might get in for a little bit, but, but largely, um, yeah, it's a waste of time. 
Um, you wanted to talk about a 10 cup. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, um, in addition to, I guess my, my two favourite things in the world are uh, talking about the business of rugby or how rugby uh, administrators have turned their focus to the business of rugby rather than rugby itself. And my other favourite thing is um, talking about what a rubbish game it is at the moment. And, you know, for, uh, I guess, um, the Rugby Championship uh, and uh, Super Rugby, um, uh, uh, like the portfolio holders of that rubbish style of rugby, um, of you know, held out uh, criticising the Mitre 10 Cup because um, that has continued to be uh, good rugby. Um, but unfortunately, uh, this year I've seen that rubbish brand of rugby uh, creep into club rugby. And so it's not a surprise to see it uh, in the Mitre 10 Cup now as well. And it's just, it was highlighted perfectly on the uh, last week when Canterbury were playing Taranaki um, and uh, the referee uh, seemed to have a bit of a beef with the Taranaki side and at half time they were behind and Leo Crowley who is an assistant coach for Taranaki he must be related to the to the Crowleys surely yeah, has to be, yep. has to be. Um, yep. uh, he came out uh, it looked like he'd been having a bit of a cry in the changing rooms um, and he said uh, to win this game we need to get it in behind them and I thought to myself, you know, Leo, that is the last thing you need to be doing. You need to be keeping your hands on the ball um, uh, mm. if you want to beat Canterbury. Um, but he was talking about, you know, uh, I've got the wind and so I'd need to use that, which is code for we need to kick it and get territory. Um, so my, head, my mm. head went into my hands at that point. Um, but making it worse, um, John Preston uh, was uh, one of the commentators. Um, and he followed that up with, yeah, um, we've got to use this wind. We've got to get some territory to put the pressure on. Um, again, it's just absolutely terrible that we've got an assistant coach mm. of the Mighty 10 Cup and uh, I guess a semi-respected TV commentator, both not understanding uh, what the game of rugby is and how to play good rugby. Um, so I was um, pretty dismayed um, at that, and uh, Taranaki really went on to um, lose that game by about a gazillion points. Yeah, they did. They did, because <laughs> I, I imagine they were they kept kicking it back to Canterbury. Well, they did, you know, and um, yeah. uh, just terrible. And Canterbury were kicking it to them. It was like, uh, no, no, we, we, we don't need the ball. You have the ball, and then kick it back to us. I think just, Auckland beat Southland. Yeah last night and so that's now a record i think southland have lost 20 games in a row i'm not sure what that means for southland so um mm. they won't go to the heartland championship right oh they won't they uh, i'm not sure i'm not, <laughs> they're already in the no they won't go to the heartland championship i don't think unless there's a promotion relegation game so how does how does anyone from the heartland championship break into the mighty 10 cup that's a very good question again i'm not sure whether they still have a promotion relegation game haven't done my research. It's too complicated. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because it looks like it looks like Taranaki will fall down into the lower tier of the Mitre Ten Cup, right? Mm. And, and, yeah, and the yeah. uh, the top team from the lower tier will come up into the top tier. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah what that means for the Heartland Championship. And if that is, in fact, the case, then... Um, Potentially. Southland Again, I'm not sure. be dropping down, right? Or would, they, or would they play the winner of the Heartland Championship? You know, because New Zealand rugby likes to make it as 
almost impossible as they can for anyone to get into the Mitre 10 Cup. So, you know, not only would you have to finish top of the Heartland Championship, you'd then have to beat a team from the Mitre 10 Cup to get into the Mitre 10 Cup. Yeah, and with the two divisions, I don't know, it, it's always confused me um, because, you know, from whatever it's called, Div- Division 1, I don't think it's called that, but anyway, Division 1, they play teams from Division 2, and it doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. Um I don't know. Again, it's a, it's quite a contrived tournament in my mind, um, and certainly not not as good as it was back in the day. Again, back in the day, when it was quite simple with a you know there was just a first division, <laughs> and that was that's it. right, first division. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's right. <laughs> so um, and you know, and, well, we had the second division. Yeah, but um, but you know, you could, you could drop out of the first mm. division. Mm. Uh, but what I don't get are these crossover games. Yeah, well, that's right. That's where Canterbury in the top tier of the Mitre Team Cup play Otago in the second tier. Yeah. What does that actually mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. How, do, how does that work? <laughs> I'm not sure because you've got two different points ladders running, right? The rugby union don't want it to make any sense. Let's be honest. They've, you know, they've driven uh, they've driven the focus away from the domestic competition and towards Super Rugby because that's where the uh, broadcasting money is. So uh, you know they've got an international audience in Australia and South Africa. Um, with super rugby that they don't have necessarily with domestic rugby and so they've driven the focus away from that and so you know it can be as convoluted and as um, complicated as it is um, and the rugby union probably no, don't don't. I mean again English football do it so simply you know you have you have the Premier League which is your your old division one um, and the bottom three teams get relegated <laughs> you know and it's really that simple. And then the top teams, for, or the three top teams, there is a promotion relegation from the championship into the Premier League, but the the top three teams go up and replace those other teams. Yeah. And it's yeah. just so easy. And then you've got, you've, got, you've got to fight to get back into that Premier League again. Yeah. As I see it, it should be. As I see it, there are three casualties from the New Zealand rugby football union and um, their focus on the business of rugby rather than on focusing on rugby. And that is um, the rugby supporter. Um, it's the Mitre 10 Cup and it's the Ramfilly Shield. Yep, I agree. And I mean, Mitre 10 Cup crowd sizes are not good. <laughs> are not good at all. Who the fuck wants to go to a game on a Wednesday night in a McArgle? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, who does? I mean, if they played it on a Saturday afternoon... In Invercargill against Auckland, you would expect a full house. But you know, it's it's cold, it's wet. I'm not sure that anybody actually lives in Invercargill during the week anyway. So you know, what do they expect? And probably bit they, they had some little kid run out uh, with the ball again uh, in the game in uh, Southland versus Auckland, and you know, for him, probably the moment of a of a lifetime. Um, and there's no one there to see him. You know, it's like these tumbleweeds rolling across in front of him as he ran out and put the ball down. And they announced his name over the loudspeaker. And, you know, probably just his mum in the stand was clapping. Add him, add that little boy as the fourth casualty of the business of rugby. Well, amen to that. Uh, Very, very Reverend Mike. Okay, so last on our rugby list, again turning up this week, is news of a waterfront stadium in Auckland, um, this time not bankrolled by the council but supposedly bankrolled from 
some private business uh, companies out of Auckland. Um, and, I mean, we have to go back to probably, what, 2009 when the Waterfront Stadium was first proposed, maybe 2008, uh, never got off the ground, um, was blocked by lots of people who didn't didn't want it. And so Eden Park got an upgrade. Uh, and now, again, even with the millions of dollars that was spent on that Eden Park upgrade, people are unhappy with Eden Park uh, and want a waterfront stadium, which um, I think would be pretty good for Auckland um, and it would make a little bit more sense for it to be central, I think, in Auckland, given their traffic issues and just the shambolic nature of um, of that city and, and its planning. Uh, but we'll see. So what do you think, anyway, about the uh, waterfront stadium? Does it matter? Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how many stadiums uh, city needs, <clears throat> and you're right. Uh, Eden Park has has had so much money poured into it. Um, I don't see that um, the government or Auckland City Council would be prepared to pump money into uh, a consortium building a, a private stadium. Um, I I don't see it happening. I mean, they've got uh, they've got arenas. Uh, we've got a couple of um, big arenas um, in Auckland. So, uh, you know, for your basketball games and your concerts, uh, we've got Eden Park, we've got Mount Smart. Uh, I've got that dreadful QPE stadium um, <laughs> in, in North Harbour. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're well serviced and I think it's um, somebody's thrown it out there maybe to see what sort of support there would be. But um, yeah, I don't see that getting off the ground. And I certainly don't see the rugby union being prepared to, I don't see the rugby union being prepared to spend money to play games at a stadium um, when they've already got their own stadium. So, yeah, so um, I don't see that getting off the ground past the street. Um, I think Auckland are well-serviced with stadia and arenas um, at the moment, um, and I certainly don't think uh, the government uh, or Auckland City Council are going to be prepared to enter into any sort of consortium to help build a new stadium, uh, especially after I've spent so many millions uh, on upgrading Eden Park over the years. And I guess in addition to that, um, a private stadium would suggest that the New Zealand Rugby Football Union would uh, would have to pay uh, top dollar to host games there. Um, I don't think they're going to agree to that when they've got a, a cushy deal with uh, Eden Park. All right, so uh, Rug- International Rugby League is returning to New Zealand and the Kiwis have named a new captain. Uh, but the big news, of course, is the enthusiasm from the Tongan fans once again. And they had a, uh, in Manukau last night at the event centre there, they had a, a bit of a rally as the Tongan team arrived in Auckland. And then uh, there was a sea of red in Manukau to welcome them. And, um, you know, there's going to be a big crowd watching them train and I think <clears throat> that the game is now sold out and there are probably going to be more Tongan fans there than Kiwis fans or at least that's what that fine cup publication the New Zealand Herald is talking about with their headline um, Tonga Australia set for sellout while Kiwis struggling to attract support so they certainly love their um, their league side or it, they love their rugby side as well. There's just any Tongan team playing in New Zealand is, is going to get a lot of support. Yeah, you see, whenever you read me a New Zealand Herald headline, I always expect the next one to be Godzilla spotted in harbour. <laughs> Residents alarmed at the appearance of Martians in the supermarket. Well, yeah. according, according to this article that Mount Smart 
um, has a yeah, okay, so Mount Smart has a capacity of 25,600, but New Zealand Rugby League boss said he'd be happy if 15,000 turn up uh, to watch them play Australia. You'd think there'd be more um, wanting the Kiwis, well, I suppose not, because they expect the Kiwis to lose. As a, as a journalist, I feel like saying, you know, what you've just said was in the Herald, but then saying, um, but I can't reveal my source, mainly because I'm too embarrassed to. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, um, that, is, that is a strange... I don't know how I feel about seeing that level of support uh, for Tonga. Obviously, it's a great thing for the Tongan community and for the Tongan Rugby League team. But um, I just wonder how it makes New Zealand Rugby League feel. Um, and, you know, if they don't sell out Mount Smart um, on Saturday, but do sell out... Uh, where are they playing the Tongan game? Australia will face Tonga at uh, Mount Smart on October twenty. So yeah, it will be uh, it will be uh, nothing short of an embarrassment, really, if uh, mm. they don't sell out for the New Zealand game for the Kiwis versus the Kangaroos. Um, and they do um, well. You've said uh, they've already sold out the Tongan game, so uh, that will be interesting. Talking about embarrassing uh, football, New Zealand, and we talked about this last week. Football, New Zealand being a shambles. Um, they're even more of a shambles this week as one of their board members has resigned as a result of the report and is calling for the rest of the uh, New Zealand football board to follow his lead and resign as well. And one thing I'd, I'd, I think we didn't mention last week with this report or this review, independent review that came in out of, on uh, NZ Football was that they New Zealand football only released part of that report, um, not all of that report. And and so there's obviously you know some things in there that they don't want public uh, for one reason or another, and I guess some of that is is the payouts that they've ma- they made to the former coach of the New Zealand women's football team, and also the departing um, chief executive when he left. Um, so uh, this is what the guy the guy on the board who has resigned said: I formed the view that when read together with the published portion that the position of the chair the potential and potentially the board itself was untenable um, the collective duty of a board has essentially made this con- a conscious conscience vote I respect those board members who prefer to act from inside to effect change so uh, essentially he yeah he has gone uh, which isn't again uh, a great look for New Zealand football um, it's a shame yeah, I guess um, I guess you would expect uh, one or more of the board uh, to go um, after a report like that because you know uh, nothing's going to change if uh, nothing changes so um, so I guess it didn't surprise me um, by the same token I'm not sure you want the entire board to walk out because uh, then things really do fall mm. apart so there probably needs to be some sort of transition and sometimes you see these things uh, occur in other aspects of life and businesses where uh, the board or chief executives will stay on uh, to affect the changes that are required and uh, but they say at the end of that they'll be moving on um, and maybe that's the case for uh, football New Zealand they need to keep enough there uh, to get things changed uh, and to keep some of the knowledge that they've got in place uh, then once it's done look at refreshing the board in the in the leadership of the organization yeah true very true Oh, so anyway, we'll see what happens, I guess, with New Zealand football moving forward. Uh, keeping with football, of course, in the English football, they they have a history of, of sacking managers, uh, left, right and centre, 
you know, and they do it. They're fairly ruthless. And so the big news, of course, um, since the start of the season has been uh, Jose Mourinho and Manchester United and their poor form. Um, last weekend, they were 2-0 down against Newcastle, um, but turned it around in the second half and actually won 3-2, which um, has been... Because they were caught, they, the, all the reports were that Jose Mourinho was going to be sacked on Sunday, regardless of the result uh, at Newcastle. But he's still in his job. He's received support from uh, the board at Manchester United. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? In English football, they do they do react quickly and get rid of managers. The problem is for Manchester United, if they want to sack Jose Mourinho, they're probably going to be paying out twenty nine million pound uh, to to get rid of his contract and, and get him out of there. And yeah, Manchester United's a big club and they uh, have lots and lots of money that their owners actually uh, enjoy the benefits of more than than anyone else within the club. Um, but even though they're, they're, they're pretty financial, $29 million paying out, um, I think I read somewhere, makes him actually their 17th maybe most expensive player ever if they were going to do that. So it's an interesting situation. Yeah, I guess uh, when you're talking that much money, what is the motivation to uh, stick around and do a really great job? Mm. Yeah, well, that's right. And he's done this. He's done this before. Um, he's received payouts. He tends to have a problem in his third year at a club, and um, I, I'm sh- I don't think it's an orchestrated effort from him to uh, you know just make a lot of money in a in a very short space of time uh, by by being sacked and then exercising whatever clause in his contract to get him out of there because he just signed a contract extension as well. Um, but to a degree, you see this happening in business as well with CEOs receiving payouts after um, not performing in their jobs and there's always that golden handshake. So I, I guess it's no different in football. Yeah, you know, um, maybe it's also a cultural issue because he seems to have a really hard time dealing with the media and, uh, in the UK um, and with journalists and reporters. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, whenever he uh, whenever he is interviewed post-match, um, it's always a bit of a laugh because uh, you're never too sure if he's going to lose his rag or just uh, shut up shop and not say anything. Um, so maybe, maybe he's just had enough uh, of that. I really don't know uh, what he's like as a football coach, um, and it's hard to gauge that when, as you said, he just keeps on moving on. Um, yeah, maybe it's time he. Maybe it's time he. Well, he's, he's a very successful manager. He is a very successful manager. I mean, one of the one of the thinking, uh, a lot of the thinking is that perhaps he's a little bit past his best, and football's moved on, and he hasn't moved on with it. With the media, though, he is actually pretty skillful in what he's he does. Um, earlier in his career, he, you know, when he first went to England, he was loved by the media, and he was able to charm them. Um, he doesn't do that now, and some of the tactics he uses in a press conference is to actually put all the focus on him uh, and take the pressure off his team. And so that's why some of his reactions are like that. I mean, last week or the week before, he was asked, uh, "Why are things? What are, what are the things that are going wrong? Um, or can you tell? Can you tell us about the things that are going wrong uh, at Manchester United?" And he was just like, "No." <laughs> and then that was the end of it. He also called a press conference at something like eight AM in the morning um, to, I guess see how many journalists would actually turn up at that hour um so yeah he he does manipulate the media 
um, quite a bit, and he's, he's he is quite skillful at doing it. But he he does as well at the moment. Just seem like a grumpy old man, and perhaps he is better to move on. But again, that could be part of his tactics. He'll still get a job somewhere else um, because uh, he ha- he has been a successful manager. Uh, it's just it's interesting. I always find it interesting to see how these things are orchestrated over there. Um, and of course, the, the the English love to bet, and I think he's still odds-on favourite to be the first manager sacked in the Premier League. There's already been a couple of managers sacked in um, in the Championship, which is the the, the league down. Um, and then, of course, I think that's with uh, I think that's with Aston Villa, and they've appointed um, two former players to take over there: uh, John Terry and uh, and Terry Henry. Uh, who have next to no managerial experience, <laughs> but they're excellent former players, so that can happen too. I guess, you know, um, as his employer, I'd be a wee bit alarmed that he's dedicating time to fucking with the media uh, rather than <laughs> focusing on the football team. You know, and if, if this is what he is doing now, you know, if he's uh, turning up to media conferences uh, and only providing one-word answers, um, or if he's uh, calling press conferences just to see who turns up. Uh, that to me is a, is a is an alarm bell that things aren't going right for him um, and that his focus is not in the right place. Yeah, amen to that. We'll see what happens uh, with him. But as I said, £29 million, that's a heck of a payout. All right, so uh, time to talk a bit of netball because the, the Silver Ferns have been playing Australia in the Constellation Cup um, and uh, have lost both games. And I think now they cross the Tasman and play a couple of games here. Um, but it's it's pretty much all over. So you've been keenly watching the netball, the very, very reverend Mike. You know, I mean, I guess I guess uh, my modus operandi is that I quite like watching um, competitive games of sport. And, you know, uh, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, when New Zealand plays and loses, um, I lose all interest. Um, in fact, it probably makes me more interested. And that's been a wee bit with the Silver Ferns recently. I guess I, I haven't been a huge follower of netball, but knowing that they've had their backs against the wall uh over the year, last year or so, uh, and now playing Australia in the Constellation Cup, it's made me want to watch. And yeah, they did get a, a bit of a drumming earlier in the week, but uh, last night they played uh, up in Townsville. Um, and yeah, I guess I was uh, questioning uh, my judgment and tuning in to watch it when we were down by uh, six goals after about 30 seconds. Uh, but you know, we kept on kept on clawing our way back um, and going into the final quarter. Um, it looked hopeful, um, but I guess what I noticed was how physical the Australians have become and how mm. um, how rough the game has become. Um, you know, if you watch that last quarter in particular, um, the Australians were as rough as hell, and I don't think I've seen a netball game uh, that has been that physical before. You know, there's, there have been games where there has been some physicality and um, mm. The odd netball player goes sprawling across the court or uh, into a billboard uh, on the court's edge. But last night, uh, the Australians were super aggressive. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that. And you know, it's, um, it was it was um, frustrating that we didn't seem to be able to give back as good as what we got. Um, but also fascinating to see uh, that the game has evolved this way. Yeah, well, um, I think it was Norma Plummer. Uh, the former Australian coach, uh, she liked a bit of mongrel. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, it's a shame that the um, civil fans have lost that a little bit. They'll need to need to harden up a bit and get a bit more physical, give as good as they got, because uh, the Aussies probably won't like it up them. Um, and that usually happens with a lot of physical teams. They don't like it being given back. Uh, but maybe we don't have the players to do that. I guess the Australians as well, they've got an advantage because they've got a six-foot-four shooter, which tends to uh, help yeah, quite a yeah. bit. Um, Maria Flower um, did a good job. Mm last night but again um even she was getting even uh, well she did okay last night um she was getting hassled quite a bit but it was really down the other end of the court um with the australian shooters and our, our defenders um who seem to be having a really hard time um and it wasn't um it wasn't really hidden you know it's just like the aussies were really openly uh, aggressive uh, yeah, again, really interesting. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how they go in Hamilton uh, this weekend. Yeah, well, I think Nolene Toto is a very good coach, and so hopefully they'll give her a bit of time, and they won't uh, look to sack her if she doesn't get results against the Aussies, especially in the short term. Um, because again, I think what is this her fourth game in charge, and they've won one. Um, but you know, she's trying to implement a new system and and get. Get the get the players up to speed playing um, the way she wants them to play. So yeah, hopefully they'll have some patience with her, and, and hopefully she'll have uh, you know motivation to continue. Uh, that's about all we've got time for at the sermon. So thanks for joining us on the Church of Sport. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Facebook. Leave us a comment and a review. We'll be back next week to speak more truths on New Zealand sport and beyond. On behalf of my co-host, the very very Reverend Mike, I'm Pastor Stu. Go in peace, or just go hard. Uh, Amen to that, Pastor Stu.